Hi, I'm Gary Nall, and I'd like to welcome you to a continuation of our ongoing series of self-empowerment discussions. Today, the theme is breakdown or breakthrough. And I'm going to incorporate several different principles into this discussion. That's a peacock here. We are surrounded by beautiful peacocks, beautiful weather, uh, nature at its best. And so I feel blessed and fortunate to be at the very end of a anti-aging clinical study. Uh, and what's most important in this particular study is not the supplements that people have taken, uh, the food they've eaten, the juices, the exercise, the meditation, the yoga, but rather have they been able to change their perception of themselves so when they go back home from here and when our quarantines are over, we've been in quarantine for over eight weeks, will they be able to look at their lives in a way that is a new beginning or at the end of what they can no longer control? Right now, all over the world, in every country, people are simply breaking down. Financially, we've never seen a collapse of economies as we see now. Some countries will see a 30 to 40% reduction in their gross domestic product. Now, normally we think it's good if you're just at zero or 1%. In the United States, we had gotten up to about 3.4%, at one time even 4%. China was whistling through uh, for over 20 years at 10 to 15%, India up there, Brazil. And then everything started to slow down because debt began to accumulate. Nobody was paying attention to the fact that we were buying things, but we were buying things with debt and not disposable income. So we began to look at the gross domestic product, how much are we growing? And one figure in there was how much are we spending on credit cards? So one person was gaining that money, the banks and corporations, and then the interest paid on that was about 20%. And they were doing fine, enormous profits. And then the other people who had to use their credit card to pay their car insurance and their student loans and food and utilities, mortgage payments, whatever their bills, the credit card paid for it. So that's really a form of financial alchemy, like saying, oh, the economy is growing with debt underneath it. The foundation is debt even with major corporations. In fact, many people thought we have it okay because we worked our 20, 30 years and as a cop or as a nurse or as a school teacher and we've retired. Therefore, we have a pension and our pension's about 8% a year, certainly in some places like down here in Dallas, the uh, pensions were negotiated 8%. Okay, that's terrific. There's no bank that's going to give you 8%. They're not even going to give you 1%. In fact, we were lucky with a lot of investments to get negative 1% or negative 2% on our money. Now, think of that. You're giving your money that you've worked for to an institution that's going to give you less back than what you gave it. That's our society today. Now, there's $6 trillion in deficits in those pensions. So a lot of people thought they're going to have that money, not going to have the same amount of money. Cities are bankrupt. States cannot technically go bankrupt, but it's been suggested. But for all intents and purposes, they are bankrupt. And that's before you consider how many personal bankruptcies 
business bankruptcies. Major corporations are going bankrupt. Corporations that historically, from their beginning, didn't have a lot of debt. They took their time. They grew right. They created a good product or service, and people benefited from that. Then they were bought out by hedge funds or equity partnerships, loaded up with debt, and struggled. And unfortunately, a lot of those are going bankrupt. J. Crew is now bankrupt. Uh, J.C. Penney's, Sears Roebuck. You're talking about between all these thousands of stores and hundreds of thousands of employees. They were the lucky ones. Now they're not so lucky. Also, they found out that no longer do you get the bonuses, do you get the benefits. You get whatever you can make, and all the salaries have come down tremendously. <clears throat> Part of our problem is we thought that in our society, the ethic was the longer you work for a corporation, the more important you become to that corporation, that you'll be rewarded for your seniority. There's an old notion that the, you know, the last hired, the, uh, the first fired. Now, the people they're looking to fire are not the people making the minimum amount of money, but the max amount of money. The people who have worked there for 20, 25 years and had earned maybe 150, even $200,000 when you add in the bonuses and the, all the uh, extras. And now they're being told, sorry, we have a young guy who's 25 years old and he has a PhD and he's coming in from India or South Korea or some other country. And you have to teach him your job exactly if you want to get your ending pay. And the person says, but I worked here. Yeah, I know. But that was then. This is the new ethic. So there's a whole new ethic. And that ethic absolves them a responsibility for making the society that we're all part of whole and functional, meaningful. Now, that's all had happening before the coronavirus. The coronavirus is a wake-up call. It shows us how utterly unprepared we are for real crisis in life, individual crisis, collective crisis, and national global crisis. If you think we've got it bad here, go to Europe. Europe is going to get slammed with about 540 million more or less people. You're going to see massive unemployment and social unrest. Because the people in France, we saw the, the red vest having demonstrations before the coronavirus, before the close down. They were closing down all of France because something as simple as wanting to change the terms of pensions or what year they could retire. And the government's saying, we can't afford all this. And they're saying, too bad. We work for it. If you misspent money, if you put money in the military-industrial complex, or if you put money into foolish things, that's on you, not us. You didn't give us an opportunity to be a part of your policymaking or opinion leading. And that's true. The same thing is happening in Italy today. And uh, where people are getting up, I just watched a, a talk, a four-minute talk from a parliamentarian who raised hell. I mean, he, he lost it. He was yelling and screaming and demeaning. But listen carefully. Take away the rage in someone's voice and listen to what they say. And he's saying, how dare you destroy our country, you, all of you, when the scientists said that 97% of the people dying of the, of the coronavirus were not dying of the coronavirus. They were dying of comorbidities, diseases they already had. Nursing homes, people were dying. Hospice centers, they were dying. Critical care, they were dying. They would normally and almost always die there. But we made it all coronavirus 
for political reasons, but not for making policies. And you made policies that closed up all these businesses, bankrupt these businesses. Let me just give you one example. And this is something that you're not going to hear anywhere because our media doesn't care about the truth or digging deep enough to see a higher relevance to our crisis. All over Italy, you have organized crime. You always have. We think of Sicily. We think of Palermo. We think of the Dons. We think of the Godfather and where the Corleone came from, the town. But no, that's existed forever. But they've had a pushback in the last 30 years when people began to turn and get government protection and then name dozens of people as co-conspirators of murder, racketeering, extortion, etc. And so organized crime is still there. It's just not as dynamic. Now it's right back. Because guess what happens when there's no food? I mean, no food. Well, you got to eat. Your kids are hungry. And so you go to the man who says, go to this store. It's a butcher store. Go there. I don't have any money. Don't worry about it. We'll take care of you. And so they buy, organized crime buys the meat, buys the vegetables, brings it in because they've got cash, lots of it. And they buy the food. And now you start getting used to having someone else pick up the tab. And initially, there's like, you know, no strings attached. But organized crime is not a philanthropic organization. So sooner or later, they're going to start running politicians for different important positions, whether it's a mayor, and you're expected to go and vote and prove that you voted for their candidates. That's part of the payback they expect. They're looking to, let's say, put money into something that can launder it. And what's good for them is business is going out of business. Right now in Italy, thousands upon thousands of small business restaurants, uh, laundromats, boutiques are going broke. They've been closed. In some cases, they only allow one customer at a time in a small grocery store and five maximum in a whole store. Long queues, long lines waiting to get in. And not a lot to buy when you do get in. As a result, those people are not going to be able to reopen. They don't have the money. In America, you open up a restaurant. You have to buy thousands of dollars worth of food. You've got to fix your equipment. You've got to put money aside to pay for your operating overhead. No one has that. No one. So all these people, I'm going to guess that at least a million businesses in the United States will go broke. But in Italy, it's a little different. In comes an organized crime person. <clears throat> and they say, we're going to buy your business. Let's talk about this right now. Now, you either say, I won't deal with organized crime. That's against my ethic. Or you say, I got to feed my kids. I got to survive somehow. <clears throat> OK, I'll sell you my store. And then they decide a price. Now, mind you, organized crime doesn't want to make a profit off this deal. So they're actually buying places at higher than what they normally would. Why? Those are now fronts to launder their money. They want to use the business to launder all that money so it goes in corrupt from crime, comes out clean into the bank. And yet the person, the person who owned the business still owns it. 
but only in name. And they know they can't do anything about it because you got cash in your pocket. Or if they do buy the business, part of it's in cash, non-disclosed, and the rest of it goes into a person's bank account, and then they have to show that they've sold it. And the organized crime will put up someone to be the front person, some legitimate person, like a group of lawyers that create what they call a, a financial pool uh, to buy businesses. So it looks all clean. It can withstand auditing. But now you're going to have millions of people doing business with organized crime, not even knowing it. And now it's going to grow and seed a whole new generation of criminals. That's just in one country. And by the way, every country has its organized crime, especially the United States. We have both the dark organized crime groups that are underground, meaning like the Gambunos and Luchis. What are you going to do when you wake up each day and you're already depressed, you're already filled with angst because you see your health going, you're, you don't even have hospitals treating people for existing diseases, they're afraid to go in because of coronavirus. Those figures have been unrealistic. They have not separated and parsed off those who died of heart disease or cancer or emphysema from 40 years of smoking from the, someone who has the coronavirus. And the fact that someone had the coronavirus doesn't mean they died from the coronavirus. That science has never been determined yet. We haven't even done the test yet, let alone the autopsies. You're not going to do the autopsies on 99% of all the people who die. So imagine what people are doing walking around when they know that they're walking into a new world that wasn't the same as the world they lived in just two and a half months ago. We are completely complicit. There was a great author, and his name was Aldous Huxley. And over 91 years ago, he wrote a classical book, and that book was called Brave New World. And he had a philosophy called the Soma. People who live in an altered state of bliss by taking medications. Now, mind you, they didn't exist then, but he projected all this, and he was right. And he did an interview, I think it was around 1958 uh, or 1968, with uh, Mike Wallace, and he talked about this. And he said, there's going to be a time when people actually want to be prisoners to the system because they're willingly compliant because the system then takes charge of all their problems, all their issues. They just have to take their meds and show up and not act out in any way. Well, that's where we're at now. So on the one hand, you've got an economic crisis unparalleled about to happen unparalleled. Now think the next time you buy something stupid, which is most of what you buy, and actualize the reality that the dollar is going to collapse in value. It's only been artificially held up. And you have overstuffed your life, accumulating things. And now you're not going to have the cash to buy anything. That means you're going to be controlled. The less you have in resources, the more control someone's going to exercise over you. Just like the mafia. Don't worry. We'll feed you at what cost. What's the quid pro quo? They never tell you that. Then you have all this depression. We already have 40 million Americans taking some form of antidepressive or antipsychotic medication. All right? We're the most overdrug company in country in the world. We have 5% of the world's population, actually a little less. 
and yet we use 70% of all medications right here in the United States. We are over-medicated by intent. If it's not good enough to have a normal disease, they make up disease. They have pathologized normal life. They pathologize children's behavior. If little Jimmy doesn't sit like a little automaton in class and look at the teacher and say, yes, yes, if Jimmy should fidget, look out the window, be bored because the teacher is boring, the environment is boring, maybe Jimmy's just a little more smarter than the other class, classmates. And so Jimmy's already thinking of something, and the teacher says, Jimmy, you have a brain chemical imbalance, you have ADD or ADHD, we gotta get you on meds. Now Jimmy joins a whole group of people who are all on meds, and that's the new normal. No one questions it. No one questions being obese. Nobody questions gluttony. Nobody questions a lack of energy to oneself. Nobody questions any longer this kind of morose way of looking at life, negative, pessimistic, cynical. So those are people who look at everything as scarcity. There's a scarcity of good people, a scarcity of honesty in politicians, a scarcity of objectivity in the media, a scarcity of legitimacy in corporate profiteering, using their charters to hide behind as if it's a shield that protects them from personal jail and personal responsibility. If you want a good America, if you want a clean America, you want an honest America, Allow every corporation that is found to be guilty by intent of breaking the rules, take away their charter, and put the people in prison. Overnight, all, everything corporate that's wrong would be righted. Take away all indemnification for vaccines. So if you make a bad vaccine, you are held personally accountable. You go to jail. The chemists who made it go to jail. You would stop all vaccines overnight. But we're not going to do that. That's not possible. People of power don't surrender their power. And become, they become a part of a paradigm or paradigma from the Greek, a pattern of holding power. And therefore, they are the ultimate theos. They are the ultimate arbiters of all that is right and all that is good because they are the policymakers. There's no one who can challenge them. So now when you look at life and you look at all the problems we have, it's very easy to go down to the lower end of the emotional and spiritual spectrum because you feel, I'm just one person. I have no power. I have no authority. I can't change circumstances in my life. You know, I don't know what I'm supposed to do now. I don't know where I'm supposed to go. I don't know where I'm supposed to live because I never prepared for it. All right? If I'm not prepared for anything in life, then I just give up. And that's what you're going to have for the majority of people. They'll give up. Hence, they will justify emotionally intellectually and behaviorally. They'll justify scarcity of everything. Scarcity of good people. No, they're good people. Scarcity of love. There's no shortage of love. Scarcity of ideas. There's unlimited ideas. They'll look at everything as a scarcity and they won't look any further. They'll become monotheistically focused, meaning a single focus. Everything is bad and getting worse, and I can't change it, so their world tightens like a grip around them until there's no life energy left, the chi is dissipated. The light goes out. You're going to see massive amounts of suicide. Because people didn't save. People had to have another of everything that they didn't need, another flat screen TV, another car, because everybody has to have a car. No, everybody doesn't have to have anything that they think they have, but we've all been living in these bubbles. The poor have a bubble, the rich have a bubble, the working class has a bubble, and the professional has, class has a bubble. The political has, have, class has a bubble, the financial class has a bubble, the educational class has a bubble. Everybody's living in a bubble. 
We're like all these bubbles where our own ethereal reality occurs, where we can float around without any grounding. Well, hello, your bubbles are all going to be burst, and you're not going to like what happens when you hit the ground because you have no preparedness for this. Not because you couldn't be prepared, because the people who were prepared, we call them jerks or fools. So that's one reality, and that is not going to change. Quite simply, as much as I look carefully and I analyze and I do and I think of everything through, I see no hope for most people. Because add on to that emotional crisis and the financial crisis, add on the environmental crisis. We're going to have the hottest summer ever in our history. Now that might seem like a good idea unless you're northern climate and those trees that were so wonderful in Michigan, Wisconsin, Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont, they're going to be dying. Like 100 million died last year in California. And that means it's going to be susceptible to beetles and infestations and fires. Remember two years ago, Mon uh, three years ago, Montana had, Montana had the worst fire in its history? Washington State, even in its, its very wet climate, had fires because they had all those millennia of moss and peat down in the bottom of, of every place holding the moisture. That's the same thing now in, in the Russian tundras and the Russian steppes and the boreal forest. So much now of what was wet and frozen is now thawing and drying and fires all over Greenland, all over the Arctic, all over the place, fires. That's affecting people. Then you have, you have the oceans acidifying, the bleaching of the coral reef. You, ha you have more warm water. With warm water, you have the water vapors going up and the storms now, water bombs. And the hurricanes are going to go slower, be bigger. You're going to see hurricanes that are 400 miles across. You're going to see hurricanes category 5 and category 6. We had our first category 6 this year. You're going to see more of those, a lot more. More tornadoes, more dust storms, more sandstorms, something you'd see in Saudi Arabia and Bahrain. You're going to see now, and we are seeing them in Arizona and other places. I just finished a film. Um, I haven't released it yet. It's, uh, it's one about, I think today, it's, it's two weeks that uh, some film festivals take. It's already won 14 awards. It's a powerful film. It took seven years to produce all over the world. And I said, tell the story without comment. Just let people see what is going on. You know, like in the, the lungs of the planet, which are the, the, great, uh, the great areas, huge areas in Brazil. By the way, there are several uh, countries in, in South America that are part of the great rainforest. But Brazil is the largest, and it's just being decimated. Three football fields every 60 seconds are being destroyed because of the, the fascist right-wing Bolsonaro, who's the president down there. But they love him on Wall Street. They love him in Washington. They love him on the Council on Foreign Relations. They love him in the Business Roundtable because he said, we're open for business. We're privatizing everything. Take everything you want. And don't worry about the natives. We'll get rid of them. And that's what's been going on since he got into power. But it was actually going on before him. So now, the lungs of the planet that held in the carbon 
is gone. So people can have their meat, have their hamburgers, the cheap hamburgers. You think that you got a bargain at $4 or $5 for your hamburger and a shake and french fries? Well, you may have gotten a bargain, but you didn't get healthy because of it, and the planet got sicker because of it. Are you willing to take responsibility for that? How about never in your life will you take responsibility for anything? Because we don't do that anymore, do we? Maybe I'm missing. Maybe, maybe I'm just wrong. And if I'm wrong, tell me, we're a nation, we're a world that takes responsibility for our actions to prevent problems. I'm simply the voice that looks back at you in the mirror that won't lie to you. Everyone else you know is going to lie to you or try to exploit you. That's the world we live in today. So it's easy to say our health care is non-existent. People cannot afford to even go in and get a corona test or get treated. People can't afford basic medicines they may need. We're sicker than ever before. We're the sickest nation on the planet per population. So we don't even have the decency. We don't have the ethics. We don't have the morality to have universal health care because of some goddamn Republicans and conservatives and sold out Democrats from Clinton, Obama, don't want you to have universal health care because it would take profit away from the insurance industry, the pharmaceutical industry, the private hospital associations. The people gave them money to walk around with a hanky touching their eye like there's a tear for you. There are no tears for you. Not today, not ever. Does that sound a little hard? It's not hard enough. Because when you take together the economic collapse, the health collapse, the, all of the environmental catastrophes that are happening and going to get worse, and you put those together and we're not prepared for any of that, nothing, zero. All we can do is act afterwards and point fingers, but nothing changes. We still haven't even recovered from Hurricane Sandy and Katrina. If you doubt me, come with me to the lower ninth ward and you'll see. We haven't recovered. People have made billions, but those are people who are the economic sharks who come in and exploit the low level where the fungus and the mold and the candida grows on the base of corporate, corporate capitalism, vulture capitalism. So that's one part of the picture. Now there's another part, completely different, one that I advocate. Abundance, breakthrough. These people have broken down, the society's broken down, and you're going to have Mad Max Wonderland coming at you soon. Watch the film, rent it. And so look at the future. That's utopia for those in power, about 60 million people in America, and dystopia for everyone else. And generally, it will take maybe 30 years to create that. You're looking at within the next two years that happening, 24 months. Today we had a gentleman stop off here in a black truck, and he made a call. He's been coming every day. He wanted to quote, how are you doing? We're being monitored now as if we're not mature enough to take care of ourselves. They have drones. Everything you do is now monitored as if it doesn't matter. Now there's another world, the world I live in, the world I believe in. I'm a realist. That's everything I just told you is real and happening. But look at the other part where we still have free will. We can look at everything that just happened as a wake-up call to really get our undivided attention. My generation's been hanging out in la-la land 
for about the last 30 years. We thought as smart as we were, as educated as we were, as all that we invented, all we created, the me generation, very self-absorbed, very selfish, very elitist, that uh, we wouldn't be faced with any problems in the future we couldn't handle, or our ex-generation children, or their children, the millennials, couldn't handle. Well, take a look at the millennials and see what they can and can't handle. And the ex-generation is just as bad off as the millennials in many respects. But what if all this simply was a wake-up call? It's 3 o'clock in the morning, and you get the call. Hello, Bob? Well, this is an emergency call. You haven't been willing to look out the window to see the world, and you've been photoshopping it to meet your emotional needs. Time to get real. All right? You can either break down or break through. What do you want to do, Bob? What are the options? Well, break down. Everyone's going to break down. You want to go there? Or do you want to break through? Well, I don't know what breakthrough means. It's not in my vernacular. I, what are you talking about breakthrough? Well, I'm saying if we've got your undivided attention, if we've grabbed you by the lapel and said, stop the bullshit of your life and look at a meaningfulness of life instead of just making a living, you've wasted the last goddamn 30 years of your life doing bullshit work that you didn't love, did not allow you to grow, did not honor you as a human being, did not allow you to thrive intellectually, mostly and creatively. You've been in shitty relationships. You haven't challenged them. You adapted to them. Want to change that? Yeah. Do I have an option? You're going to do one or the other. There's no, no neutral what's come at you. No neutral. The world's changed. You've got to take a side. So I choose to take the side that I'm going to use this to look for the abundance and the life that I can live and the control I can have over my perception of the life I'm living and the circumstances. I can choose, for example, to be a vegan, a healthy vegan. I can choose what I put in my body. I don't need to be tempted. I'm not going to go home and cheat. I'm not going to smell a pizza and say, ah, I love that. I don't have to cook. I can just order in a pizza. No, that isn't going to happen to me. I'm not going to drink a cola or alcohol. I'm not going to smoke or drink. I'm not going to take a medication just to calm my nerves. I'm not going to take um, Metamuse or any uh, laxative. I'm going to eat fiber. I'm going to care about what I do. I'm going to respect my life intellectually, creatively. That allows me to break through from any state of mind that was complacent, that was uncertain, that was living defensively, backing through life saying, well, I, I, didn't, I didn't protest. I, I didn't complain. I, I went ahead with everyone. If they told me to vote Republican, I voted Republican. I voted Democrat. I voted Democrat. I, I was a good citizen. 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 And what am I? I'm at the door. I'm, I'm at the back door of life. Is this it? That's it. Do you have anything you want to say before you open the door and walk away into nothingness? Could I do it over? Why? I didn't live a legacy. Why not? Well, I didn't think I could. I didn't think that I had to live for anyone other than my own needs, my family needs. Well, okay. But to start over, you have to prove that you deserve another opportunity, and you have to prove that to yourself. Have you done that inner journey to forgive yourself for all of your screw-ups, your mistakes, your compromises, the way you've lived your life, the people you've had in it, tolerating toxic people, tolerating toxic environment, tolerating indifference, tolerating boredom, tedium, lies and deception, reading the New York Times? Jesus, man. 
You really believe anything the media tells you? What a mistake. But everyone's counting upon you not to ever show confidence in truth, not to stand up to them. They want you to be the coward you've lived like. That's what they need. So what have you ever done to risk anything? Well, I haven't. It's not my, it's not my nature. Bullshit. It's everyone's nature to survive. You're saying you didn't have the interest, the courage, the discipline to make yourself aware of the truth of the world you live in. So you can choose with consciousness. You can choose from moral and ethical and spiritual principles. So you wonder why your life's empty, even though you tried to fill it to keep from feeling that deeper, aching, painful sense of spiritual emptiness? Well, the spirit was locked away. You got to open that door. To open that door, you've got to acknowledge what you've been, what you've done to yourself. So I'm either going to be looking over here. My crisis has broke me down, and therefore I have to look at everything as from scarcity. And that, that filters everything else out because I have to reinforce it. Or I can look at, hey, no matter how bad stuff is, it's awakened me. My heart attack awakened me. My cancer awakened me. My lung cancer from 40 years of smoking and denying it was going to hurt me awakened me. My taking the cocaine, the heroin, the methamphetamine, the Prozac, the Paxil, the Effexor, that awakened me. Eating until I had a belly that was 48% or 50% body mass index fat, that awakened me. Where I had so much loss of muscle mass that I had trouble walking upstairs, that awakened me. Not having $500 to my name after 40 years awakened, that awakened me. Not caring about my neighbors when they were being thrown off their property, but the billionaires were getting richer, that awakened me. Seeing the utter, utter blatant corruption of our entire political system, that awakened me. The corruption of the justice system awakened me. Seeing the indifference to how people who of color or people who are poor were treated and how their lands, meaning their neighborhoods, were ghettoized and then they were thrown out and then they were urbanized. Suddenly you gentrified the neighborhood. Now you had the chic restaurants and the boutiques. But what happened to the people that were here? What happened to the Native Americans who were here? Nobody cares except the people who are the victims. So now that awakens you. Meddling in other people's democracy, as George Bush said, to bring them freedom and democracy. But we brought them death and destruction. That awakened me. When I look at how illiterate our literate people are, that awakens me. When I hear people who can't teach because they don't even understand the curriculum, that awakens me. When I see teachers teaching to the test, that awakens me. When I don't see a single strike by the teachers to challenge the curriculum, the textbooks, the privatization, the corruption, the administrators that run the whole system, that awakens me. So my breakthrough became my awakening. You can't break through till you're awakened to what is on the best side of that choice. 
So I'm awakened by the abundance of good people, the abundance of smart people, the abundance of humility, the abundance of caring, the abundance of empathy, the abundance of people who want animals to have their own life, not be a steak or a fried chicken, the abundance of people who care about their environment, who will not buy something if they know that that will in some way alter the outcome of the environment, the people who will not overstuff their life, nor their body, nor their brain with just more information. The people can say no to a cell phone, no to a computer, and spend quality time with each other. The people who want the abundance of quality time with their partner, the abundance of quality time with nature, the abundance of quality time with friends, family, and make new friends and not afraid to. The abundance of beautiful places in this beautiful world to live that are still habitable and sustainable. The abundance of small groups of people coming together and sharing common interests in the process being able to have the uniqueness of their individual self evolve at the same time working with other people so you have a, more of an input from multiple minds on every issue. The abundance of goodness, the abundance of positive people will say, hold on, yes, we have a problem, what's the solution? Let's look for a sustainable solution. We have an abundance of those people. We have an abundance of good doctors and good nurses. We have an abundance of good nutritionists. We have abundance of people who are tell, telling us how to help and showing us our body. We have abundance of yoga teachers and meditation teachers and massage therapists and nutritionists and life coaches. We have an abundance of humanistic psychologists who don't want to drug us to help us, but rather listen to us and so we can change our story and have a different outcome. So yes, I believe in breakthrough so I can write a new story starting today without looking over my shoulder at the horrors and, and the, the problems of my previous life. So I'm not just walking away from this door. I'm walking into a new life. I don't have to have certainty. I don't have to have guarantees of security. My need for security is what limited me in the choices I made until today. If I didn't have the certainty and the security, I didn't do anything. I didn't ask myself, where does that need for that comes from? Doesn't that come from being insecure? So how is an insecure person supposed to feel secure if they're going to be insecure no matter what opportunities they're given? Because they haven't resolved the dark side of their being. They haven't looked at the downside of their nature. They haven't looked at the limitations of what an, any form of inhibitory emotion will have upon how far you can grow. So now that becomes a reckoning. I'm able to open up a door and walk through it because I'm not a coward to myself. So when you look at what you're becoming and what you've been, you're either going to be down here, where most people will, a society in absolute free fall, except for those who can control the outcome and choose not to control what happens to 95% of the population, providing it's the 5%, and it's not 1%, it's not one-tenth of 1%. Yeah, you got you got 2,000 plus billionaires, and you've got at least 10 million millionaires, and you've got at least um, 16 to 17 people who are in the upper middle class who probably have a million dollars in total wealth, including their property. And, but those people always look for the advantages, not how to change anything for those who don't have anything, but how to include more into their own lives. These are the gluttons. These are the people that no matter what you give them, they're so insecure, they want more and more and more. There is no larger Gaia concept of life. There's no whole. The average 
successful person today, and there are certainly exceptions, probably about 5%, but the 95% of successful people today, your lawyers, doctors, engineers, professors, uh, business people of success, when they look at life, they don't see a puzzle. They see one piece, and that's the piece that they have identified as themselves. So when you look at your life, if it were a puzzle, what piece would you be? Because all we do throughout our life is walk around with some metaphorical notion that we're missing pieces because we have been fragmented in our beliefs. If you're rich, it's different than poor. If you're middle class, it's different than upper middle class. If you're educated, better than not educated. Advanced educated, better than educated. Very advanced educated, better than everybody who's been educated. But only if you've gone to a certain type of school that's considered a, the model of best schools. If it's a good school but a university that's publicly funded, a state university, it's not as good as an Ivy League school. A PhD here and a PhD are not considered the same PhD. One is valued, one is undervalued. One gives you a better job, one gives you a lesser job, even though you're equally qualified. If you live in one neighborhood, it's considered a better neighborhood than another neighborhood, even though they're both good neighborhoods. If you're one color, it's better than another color. If you're a lighter color in Cuba, if you're a lighter person, you're preferred rather than a darker person. A country that says everyone's equal, I've been there, there's no equality in Cuba on any level, unless you need to support Che Chavero. And by the way, did you ever look at that photograph of Che with a pistol about to kill two women, shoot him in the head? We didn't get that. That, that, that would kind of go good beside his other you know, icon picture, right? No, we don't want to see the truth of Che Chavero and what kind of homicidal racist maniac is. He didn't like black people. No, he didn't like a lot of people. He was a rageful sociopath. But, hey, if we've made him something else because we look, look at good on our T-shirts or on a wall in a poster in college, gives us some false belief of how much of a revolutionary we should be because he was revolutionary. No, he was an anarchist who was also sociopath. We don't want to get too close to the truth, so we are, therefore, it's better someone else define what is truthful and tell us. Let's listen to Rush Limbaugh tell us the truth, or Laura Ingram tell us the truth, or Sean Hannity tell us the truth or whoever it is that we get our truth from, because we're afraid to get it for ourselves, because what if we had to see the truth and suddenly the truth is not what we thought? What if we start deconstructing our beliefs and find out our beliefs are not as stable and solid and sustainable and meaningful as we've been led to believe they are by others? Can we deconstruct our life to see what we should bring back and what we should surrender, what we should appreciate and what we should forgive for a wrongheadedness? But we can't do that on this side because we've already seen a scarcity of motivation, discipline, desire. But on this side, we can. When you're breaking through and you see an abundance, you're going to see an abundance of truth. I'm going to find the truth. You don't have to tell me my truth. I'm going to live the truth. I don't have to be a part of a collective mindless crowd. I will see in my own belief systems what works and what doesn't. I'll surrender it and forgive myself and others for being a part of that collective lie. I'm not going to hold on to anger. I'm not going to hold on to rage. I'm not going to blame anybody because, A, I just become a victim of that myself. But that doesn't mean I can't feel passion about my ability to change. If you say it can't be done, you're right. If I say I'm doing it, I'm right. We're both going to be right. That's the irony of life. Everybody is right about everything.
If everybody on the planet had a different idea, they would all be right. It's just some will appreciate the rewards and others won't. So if you say you can smoke, as my older brother did, and at age 55 had no cancer, and you say, well, see, you know, you live in this whole health area, you know, and believe in all this, that's nonsense. And yet he died of cancer. So he won. He just didn't like death as his reward. If you want to become obese and think you're going to get away with it, you're not, but you're right. You can eat all the crap you want. But you'll pay, unfortunately, sadly, you'll pay a lesson, a very expensive lesson for that, being right. I'd rather be right where the outcome of right is something that is responsible, humane, spiritual, ethical, moral, thoughtful as a reward. Because this allows humility. This allows arrogance. Do you ever notice how angry people are about being self-righteously indignant based upon the bad choices they've made, the people they supported they shouldn't have supported? Now they're angry about it. But the anger's out. It's not in. The silent ego inside eats you alive because you know better. Your intuition was telling you you had red flags along the way, and you kept bypassing every single one until, boom, that one red light you ran through and someone came the opposite direction and you got totaled. We're, we're angry at ourselves for not realizing that we were played like we were stupid. Most people are not stupid at all. They're intentionally ignorant. They choose not to know the truth. They choose not to deconstruct the lies they've been living with. They look not anywhere feasible for the truth they look for the truth only in how firmly they believe in something and the self-righteous indignation of those who are the policymakers and opinion leaders from which they get their talking points and their walking orders. So one day you wake up and think, God, we shouldn't have been in Iraq. Why? Well, because you believe in Colin Powell. Do you think it was by accident that they chose Colin Powell to go to the UN? It wasn't by accident. Everything they do is choreographed. It's with intent. So now you've got a question, well, I like Colin, but I don't like him. I like Barack Obama. Look how he dresses and plays basketball, and he's kind of hip. And you see how he was dancing with his wife at the inauguration to uh, that song by Etta James? Yeah, kind of hip. And Bill Clinton would come in with the dark sunglasses and the blues outfit and play that. Oh, we like it. Would we like him more or less if we knew right then and there, if we could suddenly see a fast-forward and all the things he would later do to exploit in his misogyny. Would we like him because he's playing the sax and seems so cool, or would we like him because he was an utter predator? Would it change our perception? So what we don't want to see, what truth we don't want to reveal, we exclude it, we filter it, we block it. And now we just engage in the politics of attacking each other instead of trying to understand how to unify my own thoughts because everyone's a piece of a puzzle. We don't see the whole picture because we have been fragmented by our divisiveness. We are pieces of puzzles that people put in there, and you look at the picture of yourself and you think, this isn't me, this isn't my life. Yeah, it is. This is not me. Well, your religion put this piece in, your family put that piece in, your epigenetics put these pieces in, your politics put this in, your ideology put this in, your education put this in, your friendship put this in, your maladaptive behavior put this in, your self-pity put that in, your lack of discipline put that in. Yeah, now you look at it and it looks like a grotesque mess. 
So you want a real picture? Then clear out everyone else's idea that they have a right to be parts of the puzzle that manifest in your completeness. Only you have the right to create a picture of who you really are. But you have to have a liberation from the controls of social behavioralism to do that. You have to say no to Alice Huxley and his SOMA concept of medicating yourself into bliss and then willfully being a prisoner to every cultural, and political, and ideological need that someone has for you to be compliant and obedient. You have to give up everything that requires you to be an active human being so we become a nation of passive spectators to everything in life as if somehow this is a virtual reality game and we're not a part of it. We can look at the suffering, we can look at the disasters, we can look at the hurricane hitting Puerto Rico, but we're not Puerto Rican, we don't live there. Uh, category six is you're hitting the Bahamas and all those other hundreds of islands that make up the Bahamas, but that's not where we live, so we don't care. We can see what's happening in the fires, but we don't live there. We can see the children starving to death, millions of them in the Middle East, in the poorest country in the Middle East, Yemen, but we're not there. We can see the militarization of the police, but they haven't knocked on our door. We can see the gluttony, but it's not us today. So as long as we stay passive, we don't have to be active. And passivity means that we've already made a step towards complacency, which is coming from fear and insecurity. And that's who we become monikered as being. Boom, stamp. Don't ever depend upon this person because the moment this person gets home, they're going to go right back to everything they always did because they had no intention of changing in the first place because they absorbed in self-pity or in negative thinking, and that's the best you can expect from them. Boom. And that person's already accepted scarcity of anything because they're never going to create an opportunity. They're never going to stand up and say, hold on a second. I can change this. I can change this problem to a solution, at least for this myself and some other people. Well, then you've already broken through. Now we have the great divide. The people are no longer being a maladaptive composite of a dysfunctional dystopian society. Dystopian even for the rich, because you think that everybody who's rich and powerful lives by a euphoric notion of self. They don't. Every rich person I've ever counseled, and that's thousands, have been miserable, lonely, pathetic, insecure human beings, disguising all their actual nature by putting in yachts and penthouses and parties and bling. Look at them with all that, take away all that, and there's no one there. Hence, there is no there there. So we're a nation with maybe 3 to 5% of the people. That's still a lot of people. It's still between 10 to 15%, 15 million people who are conscious, attentive, humble, and very interested in being proactive about changing their life. And those are people that first overcame all their inertia and their insecurity. Because if you're insecure, I don't care what you think about transformation and breakthroughs and abundance, you're going to be living every second of your life in this dysphoria. You're going to be living at the bottom end of life. So it's your choice. Breakthrough, breakdown. Abundance and scarcity. Self-actualization and mimicking. That's your choice. Thank you.